Today's Bible reading can be found in 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. very much for reading Catherine and uh, it's good to see you all. Uh, I've been away on holiday, an excellent holiday, but it's good to see you all and to be back now. It's a particular joy to see uh, Jay and Joe and Abby and Layla and I guess Isaac's out the back as well. Uh, Welcome uh, to to you um, back um, on holiday I guess for a little bit. Lovely to have you with us. Well as uh, Andrew said earlier on we're starting a new series in 1 John today and we do need the Lord's uh, help as we look at this particular part of scripture And so let's ask for it together now. Our Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to open our minds to understand these scriptures and their particular relevance to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you keep open the passage in front of you? I'll be... Uh, getting to it a little bit uh, later on. We're not starting right at the uh, beginning of the letter, but somewhere in the middle, and hopefully that will become self-explanatory as we go along. But if any of you know anything uh, at all about 1 John, and I appreciate there probably are a few people here who know nothing whatsoever about 1 John, that's absolutely fine. But if you know anything about 1 John, uh, apart from the famous bit at the beginning, which is often used in prayers of confession... And the bit in chapter 4 about God uh, being a God of love, which is often used at uh, at wedding uh, services. If you know anything about 1 John, you probably know um, 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, which is one of the purpose statements in, in the letter. And it says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God... In other words, it's been written to Christians so that, and here's the purpose, you may know you have eternal life. And it's often uh, pointed out that John, when he wrote his uh, gospel, um, he says at the end of uh, his gospel, he has written so that you may have eternal life. But at the end of his first letter, he says, He's writing so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John's gospel written so that you may uh, have eternal life. John's letter written so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's often 
pointed out as, as the difference between the two of them. And so when we come to 1 John, you may well have been taught or even taught your, yourself to others that there are, there are broadly three tests in 1 John by which you may know whether or not you have eternal life. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We all want to know whether that's true of us or not. They are the belief test, the love test, and the obedience test. Three tests, if you pass them, well, you can know in your heart that you really are a Christian, that you really do have eternal life. And so the first uh, question is the belief question. And uh, John, in his letter, unpacks this one. And uh, the belief question is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is fully God, fully man, he is the Christ. And you think to yourself, if you are a Christian believer, you think to yourself, yeah, I believe that. In fact, um, I've got no doubts about that whatsoever. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's the Christ. I believe it. So, uh, test one, passed. And then you come on to the second test, the love test. And it begins comes a bit trickier at this stage because the question that one John asks us is, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? And uh, that gives you a little bit of pause and you think to yourself, well, on balance, yeah, I guess I, guess I do love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps as that one person, you think they're a bit difficult and I struggle there a bit, but broadly speaking... I'll give myself a little tick there. I've passed. Then you come to the third test, the obedience test. Do you obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ? At which point you get a little bit nervous (laughs) because if you're a Christian, you know you don't obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ anywhere near as much as you wish you could and so you put a little bit of a, a question mark over that. You know that sometimes you obey, but quite often you don't obey. And so the very letter that you think has been written to give you assurance, which John tells us in chapter 5, verse 13, well, you ask yourself, well, does it really deliver? It hasn't really delivered assurance for me. And your assurance is undermined. All of which should make us ask, have we really understood this letter? Let me read again verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. And as I do so, I want you to notice just how positive it is. I want you to notice that these are not challenging questions or a criticism of those to whom he's writing, but they are statements that he is making about them. He is telling them things that are true. Verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. That's the Lord Jesus. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have 
overcome the evil one. And it is all wonderfully encouraging statements about what he believes about them. See, John is not writing to assure them so much as to reassure them. Well, what's the difference? There is a subtle but important difference between those things. You see, you assure somebody, you need assurance if you lack confidence. You need reassurance if you have lost or are losing confidence. So you say you can abseil down a cliff, or you can't abseil down the cliff. Let me assure you that you can do it. All you need to do is lean back, keep your feet apart, and walk slowly down the cliff. Let me assure you that you can do it. So you say you can't abseil down the cliff. Let me reassure you, you've done it before. You've done it hundreds of times. And you can do it again. 1 John is primarily about reassurance. Now, it has things um, by which we can find assurance for ourselves as well. And, of of course, assurance uh, is of enormous importance. Of primary importance, of course, is to have eternal life. That is the most important thing that any of us can ever ask that question. Is, are we, do we have eternal life? Because all of us know that, like sheep, we've gone astray. But what's happened is, is that God has given us eternal life in Christ. That when Christ was on that cross, the wrath that we deserve, God placed upon him so that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the most important thing, eternal life. But it's also really important to know whether or not we have eternal life, to have assurance. And this letter does speak into that uh, from different points. But the primary reason of this letter is to give reassurance to genuine, ordinary Christians. So you can have eternal life, but not know you have eternal life. And this letter will help with that. So you can know whether or not you have eternal life. But primarily it's there to reassure and not assure. Think about it like this. 1 John isn't a set of tests, but a series of proofs. Imagine how you would feel if you were standing on the Olympic uh, start line. How do you feel at that moment? You're trying to project some kind of confidence at this point, but you're kind of thinking, am I going to let myself down here? I've worked so hard to to do this, and it's all come to this point, and I've got 10 seconds or a few few minutes to to actually prove it at this point. 
and I, and I don't want to let myself down. And, and all of my family and everything have been supporting me, and I know I don't. I want to do it for them as well. And actually, the the whole nation's probably watching me at, at this point. And so you're you're full of anxiety, you're full of of worry, and uh, you're just hoping it's gonna gonna come off. Compare that with how you might feel after the race when you're standing on the podium with a medal around your neck. Suddenly uh, a bit more confident, aren't you? All of that worry and anxiety is dissipated. Because you've got the proof and you can look down and see. You you don't need to prove yourself to anyone because you've got the medal round your neck. Well, one John should make us feel like we're standing on the podium if we're ordinary Christian believers. Make us feel as though we are the genuine thing. They're not tests so much as proofs that John wants to give. He wants to reassure his original readers and he wants to reassure ordinary believers like many of us. Now, why might we need reassurance? Why might John's readers need reassurance? Well, John... It goes on in chapter 2, verse 19. If you've got a Bible, you'll see it, see it there. To tell about a group of people who have left the church, have departed. And we'll call them the leavers. And their, their leaving the church has really shaken those who have remained behind. Let me try and give you a scenario. One summer, uh, a missionary couple comes back to the to the church, one of our missionaries, and uh, they spend the summer with us. And at, at the end of August, they, they stand up before us all, uh, just before they're about to return, and they say that they're not going to return. And the reason why they're not going to return is because they're going to plant a new church. And they're going to plant that new church a few doors away from this church. And they're not going alone. No, they're taking with them one of the associate ministers and the youth minister as well, and a couple of people on the leadership team and a couple of other kind of pillars of the church community. They're going with them as well. And why are they going What's the reason they are going? It's because they feel Christchurch Bansford is just selling them short. That Christchurch is okay so far as it goes, but there are certain elements of Christian truth, certain elements of Christian experience that they claim are missing. And that Christchurch, over the years, has just become overly narrow. And so they say, we're leaving. Come with us. Will you come with us? Will you commit to come with us? 
And of course, these are familiar faces. You know, they're nice people. Um, your kids have probably played with their kids. You've probably served alongside them. And what are you thinking at this point? You're thinking, well, who on earth's right? Who can I trust? Who's telling the truth? And it's not obvious. It really isn't obvious at all at this point. And how are you feeling? Well, I know that there will be some people here who have been in a situation like this perhaps and will know exactly how you'll be feeling. Angry for a start. Confused and not a little shaken. And it's into that situation that John writes this letter. And he writes to encourage those who have remained and to expose those who have left, to tear away the mask and expose them. Because these people, as we'll see more of in future weeks, are claiming a superior spirituality. It is, they are spurious claims, but that is what they're claiming. They talk big, in other words. Superior moral progress, superior knowledge of God and of the truth, and superior victory over the world. All spurious claims. But John writes to those who have been shaken and who are disturbed to encourage those who remain and to expose those who have left. Now, with all of that in mind, come back to these verses 12 and 13. And let's read and hear them again. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And theirs haven't. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning, and they don't. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, and they have been overcome by the evil one. Or as John puts it later on in that Magnificent verse, chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And they aren't. Now, what a relief it must have been for John's readers to have received this reassurance you've ever doubted somebody's love for you maybe that's a partner or a parent and they've they've said look I want you to know that I love you how reassuring is that or you're in a work situation you just don't know how it's going and the boss comes alongside and said look I just want to tell you you're doing a fantastic job at the moment keep it up how wonderful that is what a reassurance that is to you and John wants to reassure his readers. And he emphasizes his reassurance to them in these verses in particular. 
And you might have noticed as they were being read to us that they've got a kind of poetic feel to them, haven't they? I'm writing because, I'm writing because, I'm writing... All this repetition. And then the poetry is reinforced because you have three groups. You have the children, the, the fathers and the young, and then addressed again, the children, the fathers and the young. It's got this kind of poetic uh, feel to it, which both highlights their importance, but also is a clue for us that this is important structurally within the book of 1 John. See, 1 John breaks into two big parts, and this is the hinge. We're going to be spending August looking at the first part of the book, and we may come back to the second part later on. We'll see how it goes. So what we have here is reassurance for ordinary Christians struggling with sins, often full of doubts, feeling defeated and wondering if they're on the winning side or not. And it seems as if John wants to reassure three groups, the children, the young, and then the old. But it's not quite as simple as that. And you might have spotted that things don't sit quite as neatly as we might hope. Did you notice, for example, that they're out of the natural order? So you've got dear children. And then instead of having the young men, you have the fathers and then the young men. And John begins by addressing them as dear children... But if you read through the letter to chapter 2, verse 18, or chapter 3, verse 7, he uses this um, phrase, dear children, again, but he's quite clearly speaking to the whole congregation and not just to children. So that sort of alerts us to something going on here. And then when you look at what he says to the specific groups, for example, Uh, the young men, he'll say something to them, but he'll say the same thing to everybody later on. So he says that the young men have overcome. But then in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome. So what's going on is something like this, I think. That when he speaks to children, fathers and young, he's speaking to everybody and it applies to everybody. But when he speaks to fathers and the young, he's got something special in particular that he wants to emphasise to them. A special word for them. So let's look at it. It begins, dear children, dear children. And that reminds them of their relationship, first of all, to him. He's an old man, as he writes. Uh, He has great affection for them, and uh, therefore he calls them dear children. But of course, he's also reminding them that they are dear to their heavenly father. Isn't that good to know? If you're a Christian here this morning, you are dear to your heavenly father. 
And the very first thing that he wants to say to them is that your sins are forgiven on account of his name, which is really shorthand for saying on account of the fact that Jesus, the righteous one, who is your advocate in heaven, is your advocate in heaven because he has made atonement on the cross for your sins, which is what he says at the beginning of chapter 2. And so he's reassuring them. He's saying, you are forgiven, verse 12. And so you know the Father, verse 14, if you look at the parallel statements. Now, could it be that the leavers are claiming some kind of superior morality, even some kind of sinlessness? Well, as we'll see in the coming weeks, it could indeed be the case that that's what's going on. And John comes alongside and he says, don't be unsettled. Your sins may be many, but his mercy is more. Second, he speaks to the older Christians, the fathers. And he only has uh, one thing to say to them. And he says it, Twice in verses 13 in the middle and in the middle of verse 14. You know him who is from the beginning. Could it be that the leavers are claiming some kind of superior knowledge of God? Well, John comes along and says, look, you know him. You know him. And you know that you know him. So don't be shaken by what they're saying. And then a final uh, word with specific reassurance for young men. And and by the way, he is speaking to, to males, but that's a rhetorical thing, I think, here, as the structure shows us. So women are not excluded here, but, but in, included as well. It's rhetorical. And he says, therefore, to the young amongst them, you have overcome the evil one. How have they overcome? Well, because they are strong and the word of God lives in them. It's effective in them. So could it be that the leavers are claiming a special victory over the, over the world? And John says, when I look at you and I see you fighting sin, I know that you are on the winning side. You have overcome the evil one. And all of this, of course, is incredibly reassuring to ordinary believers as they face these levers, familiar faces, making confident claims to a superior spirituality. Now, what can we take home from this today? Well, if you're not yet a Christian, then you need to know that you can come to church and be told lies. You might not get told the truth when you come to church. And next week we'll be thinking of very much about how we can tell whether or not we are being told the truth. So come back. But what about to the Christian? And especially if 
you're a Christian who is not facing the kind of church split scenario that I outlined earlier, as, praise God, we're not. Well, we need to know that the shaking of our faith and the need for reassurance can actually be needed within the real Christian church. So if a Pentecostal friend of yours, who is as sound as a bell upon the person of Jesus and crystal clear on the atonement, if they come to you and say, well, you need to speak in tongues to really experience the Spirit, how are you going to feel? That's going to shake you is a little bit, isn't it? Or if you have a charismatic friend, again, well within the, the boundaries of orthodox Christianity here, genuine Christians, and they come along and say, well, on a Sunday, if, if, if you're not having a healing service, if, you, if you've not experienced the new charismatic experience that's, that's going around at the moment, then you're quenching the Spirit of God. Well, that's going to be very unsettling for you, isn't it? You're going to be asking the question, am I missing out here? Am I reading parts of the Bible and ignoring other parts of the Bible? And just maybe that's the key to my spiritual lethargy, the lack of pro- progress I seem to be making with sin, my, the spiritual dryness that I'm facing at the moment. It's going to unsettle you. It might even shake you up in a big way. And I'm talking about claims to superior spirituality coming from within orthodox churches. Now, before I came um, to Christchurch, I was uh, packed off to see Dick Lucas, who's the former rector of St. Helen's Church in Bishopsgate in the city. I think um, Dick's job was really to kick the tires and just to make sure that I wasn't going to completely wreck um, Christchurch. I'll let you decide on that one. But Dick tells the story of a group who came along to St. Helens a few decades ago now called the Full Gospel Businessmen International Group. And they began turning up on a Tuesday lunchtime for the services there. And after the service, they would go and make a beeline for the young Christians and uh, they would say something like this. They'd say, this stuff that Dick's been telling us, it's really, it's really wonderful stuff. But, you know, there's, there's a bit more to it than that. Now, when you hear something like that, it can easily shake your confidence. Maybe the church has got it wrong. Maybe there is more to it than that. It can... Just shake your confidence in everything that you've heard. And eventually, Dick had to, sadly, say to them, I'm I'm sorry, but please go. And he was right to do so. See, the take-home message is that knocking around Christian churches, we should expect to bump into those who will subtly or not so subtly claim a superior spirituality. And when we do... Ordinary Christians like us need lots of reassurance. For we will be tempted to to wonder whether we've got it right, whether we're missing out, whether they have something that we don't. 
But what John wants to press home and reassure us of is that ordinary Christians battling with sin, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in his word, are forgiven, do know him, and know God the Father, and have overcome the evil one. And God willing, we will press further into that next week. Let's just take a moment just to reflect upon what we've been hearing, and then I'll lead us in prayer. John says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Father, we thank you for this letter and for the wonderful reassurance that it brings to ordinary Christians uh, like us struggling along. And uh, we pray that you would give us ears to hear this reassurance. And uh, we thank you that the Lord Jesus came and died for people like us. And we pray that the effect of studying this letter might be to give us uh, deeper confidence in you and a deeper reassurance about your work in us. For we know we are full of weakness, full of doubts, full of sins. But we thank you that your mercy for us is more and we thank you that we have your word which we can depend upon. And uh, we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.